Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. Hi there. Welcome to the Style Matters Podcast, brought to you by Little Yellow Couch. This show is all about creating a personal aesthetic that is connected to the life that you want to live, starting in your home. I'm Zandra, your host, and I am so glad you're here. Now, I have a question for you. What do you think is the number one mistake you're making in your home? If you're curious to know and you want to take the first step toward fixing that mistake, go over to littleyellowcouch.com and take the quiz. Just click on the yellow quiz button that's right at the top of the page. All right, before we jump into today's episode, let me introduce you to our sponsor. I am really proud to be partnering with a company called Globe In. Globe In is a monthly subscription box of verified fair trade goods for your home, which means that all of the artisans who create these goods are paid a living wage and they're coming from all over the world. Every month you receive a collection of beautiful handmade objects and you should definitely check out their website, globein.com, to see what I'm talking about. But the real beauty of this company is that their mission isn't necessarily to fill your home with more stuff. It's to connect you in a very tangible way with people whom you've never met but have infused their life stories into what they create. When I opened up my first box and I picked up my handmade basket, I I was in love with how it looked. It was gorgeous. But then I read the story behind the family who makes these baskets. I saw the video of what this livelihood means to them. And I'm not going to lie, I actually got a little teary. I didn't just buy a pretty basket from a big box store that's capitalizing on the basket trend. I have a basket made by Emilia Garcia Martinez, who is weaving with her family to save up enough money to attend university in Oaxaca, Mexico. That's pretty powerful. 
So how does it work? Well, it's the most flexible subscription box I've ever heard of. Of course, you can skip a box or cancel at any time. But when you do choose one of the monthly boxes, you can choose your theme. You can shop from their previous bestsellers. You can add on single items to your box or let Globin surprise you with something. The boxes are only $40 a month. And besides giving myself this gift of travel inspiration for my home, and you know how much I love travel as inspiration for our homes when we're trying to create a meaningful, beautiful home, I'm thinking of several friends I know who could use an anti-coronavirus care package, too. Globin is offering listeners of the Style Matters podcast a special offer of $20 off your first box when you sign up for a three-month subscription. Just use the code STYLEMATTERS, all one word, at checkout. Go to globein.com to redeem it today. That's G-L-O-B-E-I-N.com and use code STYLEMATTERS. My guest today is someone who I cannot take my eyes off of when I'm on Instagram, or at least I can't take my eyes off of her work. Designer Natalie Papier of Home Ec has one of the best profiles on Instagram because her designs are so arresting. She really does combine things in ways you're not expecting with beautiful results. I'll share some photos on the show notes page of her work and I'll also link to her Instagram account there. Just go to littleyellowcouch.com forward slash podcast and look for her page. And speaking of the show notes pages at littleyellowcouch.com, you will also find a list of some of Natalie's favorite artists whom you can follow and buy from online. I mention this because Natalie is an artist herself, and so we talk about the importance of bringing art into our homes. Okay, let's jump in. So, Natalie Papier, welcome to the Style Matters podcast. I have fallen in love with Home Ec, your Instagram feed, your website, your whole story, um, and I'm so glad I found you. Oh my gosh, I am so honored. Um, I'm so glad you found me too. Thank you for having me. Um, I want to start with the name behind the story behind the name of your company, Home Ec, because I'm guessing it's a bit tongue in cheek. It is. <laughs> I like that you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, like Home Ec to me is kind of antiquated, right? It's something right. that's from like bygone era now but I love how it represents this kind of vintage and retro style and the science behind making a home I love that combination as well and it it kind it's funny because in a way it elevates it to this thing that has a system and there's a way of doing things and there's people that have come before you that have all this wisdom but at the same time it's got this antiquated sort of anti-feminist thing going on and so I love that you've kind of brought it back but with your own modern take on it Totally. Well, yeah. I think I, I, there's a place in my heart for vintage and retro-inspired everything, so this name was just really fitting. So it looks to me like you had a business partner at one time, but you no longer do. Is that right? That's correct. So I started the business myself, um, and at the time I was doing some vintage pop-up shops with oh. a friend, uh, Kim Donis, and on the side I started exploring this designing for clients and it took off faster than I could get my feet out from under me so 
I asked Kim if she would be interested in helping me with a project because her style aligned with mine and I just thought it would be fun to work with someone. Yeah. Um, so she helped me with that project and we just worked really well together. So I asked if she might be interested in partnering with me and she was and we did and it was great. But we decided to move from Chicago to Charlotte Um we just moved in January of this year. So once that move happened, I had asked him if she wanted to kind of continue doing home ec back in Chicago. And, yeah. you know, I would continue on doing it um, down here in Charlotte in some capacity. And at that point, I think she was just, she was done with it. It wasn't, it wasn't bringing her joy anymore. And she wanted to kind of explore some things on her own. So I continued here in Charlotte on my own. And... I still talk to her all the time. She's one yeah. of those people that I'm constantly bouncing ideas off of and getting inspired by, and she's one of my best friends still. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yes. I mean, the, as many people who've listened to the podcast know, I did have a business partner, a co-host, and a very good friend, and we are still very good friends, but um, I've been going solo as well uh, a little bit longer since I believe 2018. Um, and so it's a, it is a change to go from two people doing everything to one person doing everything, but it sounds like it was the right move for you guys and Charlotte. Okay. So moving in January and then the, the virus hits. So yes. what's that been like? <laughs> um, interesting. So, <laughs> I mean, we moved on in January. We had started renovations on our house, but we're in temporary housing until March 1st Okay, while we finish up the, um, kitchen renovation and some other things that we did at the time. Um, we moved in beginning of January. This all went down, you know, mid to early March. Um, and it was a blessing at first because I'm like, oh, now I have unlimited time in my house to, <laughs> yeah. you know, create and move things around. But that's a blessing and a curse, um, especially with kids, as you know. Ah, yes, yes. Right. So now they're there. You're there. You're trying to renovate. You're trying to run a business from a new location, making new connections. Yes. Yeah. A little bit crazy. (laughs) A little bit. And this is kind of new for me doing a lot more e-design. Okay. So yeah, there's been a lot of new things, but they're all worth exploring and they're giving me some joy in a time that um, otherwise is kind of stressful. Oh, that's good. That's good. I really think that continuing to stretch ourselves and try new things and learn new things and following our curiosity is, well, it, it's what keeps me going. So I'm glad to hear that it's keeping you going as well. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your background and how you came to fall in love with design, because I think that you have many different interests, all stemming from design or kind of circling around design. So what's, what's the story there? Oh, um, so my love of art came from a, a pretty early age. I, I started doing gymnastics and ballet as a kid, and none of those things were really making me happy. I used to complain about doing all those things. And then I got signed up for an art class, and it just clicked. Ah. It clicked, and I loved it, and turns out I was pretty good at it. So during my childhood and then into my high school years, I was kind of known as 
oh, Natalie, she's a good artist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it defined me. Yeah. Um, and then once, you know, you're getting ready to go to college, I'm like, of course I'm going to be an artist. This is what defines me. This is what I need to do. Um, I got a small art scholarship, and I went to college, and we had some personal things happening in my family at that time, and I never did get to finish my degree. Oh, wow. And I went into um, finance. <laughs> well, okay, that's <laughs> because, like a complete you know, right turn. Well, it turns out being an artist doesn't really pay the bills very well. Really? I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> So I was still doing some work on the side, murals for kids' rooms, and, you know, I was always kind of still creating, but I had this real job now, and I, you know, had benefits, so I took it. But at a certain point, it just wasn't fulfilling me anymore, and I had this opportunity to take a job at the Illinois Institute of Art. Granted, it was in accounting, but (laughs) (laughs) after a year, I could have gone back to school and have it paid for. It just gave me an opportunity to get out of what I was currently in and seek out something that, I don't know, filled my soul. Right. I got pregnant, you know, married, all that good stuff, and my kids went to school, and I started to feel like that hole where art used to be was just growing bigger, but I was sitting in front of a canvas and just would go blank. It's also a thing that requires a lot of time and dedication, Yeah. um, which I no longer had with two little kids at home. Right. So I started decorating my house and didn't stop. Uh (laughs) And this kind of got some attention from my friends and they would ask for my help and they said, oh, you should do this. This, you should get into design. And I said, well, I don't know who's going to hire me. How do I even do something like this? Um, And once I took a client who was um, a friend of a friend and just kind of, you know, gave her a really good deal and started tweaking my process and used her as kind of, you know, a testing ground for myself I just found I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed working with people and getting to know their stories and helping them create this environment of happy home that reflected them Mm -hmm. yeah I I, I'm probably not going to put this part in the show because I I'd like to focus on my guest but I just have to tell you that I'm resonating with this so much because I had a very similar path in that I got very passionate about one thing when I was a kid and, and then, and it was um, acting. And then I went to a performing arts high school. And then of course I went to a conservatory college because it was all I had known, you know, it had defined me for so long. And what's fascinating to me being a mom is that I don't have kids like that. They, They haven't found this one passion that has driven them which I'm actually kind of grateful for. It's the same. And it's interesting. Just like you said, you're kind of grateful for it because it really does start to define you. And you think this is what I need to do because this is what I'm good at. And you you almost have blinders on because of it. Totally. Uh, Totally. And so then when, when things don't work, like I, I, I then out of college, I'm in New York, I have an agent, I'm doing, getting some work, but you know, nothing comes easily. And I know, idea how to get a job right <laughs> and uh, and then I had this um, I've, I've had some mental health issues since high school and then they really came into play and I'd never taken medication I never really dealt with it and I was sort of in denial about it and it just it really I kind of hit bottom 
I picked myself up. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just moved to Chicago and knew I needed a fresh start somewhere. I still wanted to be in a city. And that's when I finally kind of found a doctor, dealt with my mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, But then still, I'm like, okay, but who am I? I still don't know. And then, then came the series of different jobs and going back to school and trying to figure it out and and having kids and, you know, all of that stuff. So I'm really, really resonating with your story. And um, uh, I want to pick it up there. So so you, you really started falling in love with design. It sounds like it started kind of becoming an art form to you, but you were really connecting it with people's stories. And I, I too, find that that's what's so fulfilling about interiors, working in interiors in homes, because, yes, it's very creative, and it can be an art form, but it's so connected to making someone else happy and live a good life. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of times when I go into homes, they're lacking that that joy or it's just like they're lacking what internally defines them. It, it feels sterile. It doesn't feel it's boring. It doesn't define the people. The people aren't boring, yeah. but somehow they've allowed their homes you know, to look that way. Right. There's that disconnect between who they are and their homes. And of course, one of your, one of the things that you say all the time is we do not do boring design when you're talking about your company. So we're going to get into that in a minute, but um, I want to stick with the art for just a second because that's so important to both of us, um, bringing art into one's home. So why do you think that that's has such a, is such an important piece of it? I mean, that is such a big question and it has so many answers. Yeah. Um, But I think the biggest thing for me is that art has the ability to just bring a mood into the room and it can be felt. It can be edgy or melancholy or serene or joyful or even just whimsical or humorous. There's so many emotions that can be felt with it. It can carry meaning for us based on the subject of the work itself. Or just even behind the story of how you found the piece. They're just conversation starters. Yes. But they also just give a room soul and a focal point sometimes. So sometimes you can create a room around the piece itself. And sometimes the art brings this other dimension of life into a space full of furniture. One of the biggest problems with beginning to collect art is that people are, they're, they find themselves disconnected from knowing what they like. Yeah. And I think in part that's because some art is, can be really abstract or feels impenetrable. And therefore only the experts, quote unquote experts know whether it's quote unquote good or not. And then people feel like, well, we must not have a clue about whether we should like something because we're not experts. We don't know. And then people then I think tend to default to safe choices for their walls. Like, you know, I don't know, a close up of flowers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just not going to offend anybody. Doesn't really have any meaning, but it's a pretty picture. Or maybe it matches the furniture or something like that. And um, I'm, I'm curious, because you're so steeped in art and the art world, and you've brought in so many artists into people's homes that you've worked on, what is your advice for people when they're when you say, okay, let's go out and find some art. Like, what do they do first? How do you, how do you start understanding what you're even looking for? It kind of is sometimes for some clients, that moment of panic, like, yeah. oh my gosh, what do I like? You know, yeah. it's, it's not, um, there's no wrong answer is what I tell people. Like you, 
but you need to explore it. You need to walk through an art museum or an art fair or a gallery, flea markets. Like what, what are you drawn to? Mm-hmm. What are your hobbies? Like, you know, what makes you who you are? What's the story there? You get into their past and once you start learning about the client, it's amazing how ideas for art come off just that. You know, you talk to a client who was really well-traveled before they got married and Mm -hmm. picked up this opera poster that they saw in Italy, and it's been sitting in their basement. It's like, let's frame that. Let's That's art. And I think sometimes art comes with this, like, oh, I need to find a painting. But art is not just a painting hanging on your wall. There are so many different kinds of art. Um, you know, from sculptures to tapestries and rugs and vintage scarves that your grandmother wore. It oh. doesn't just need to be, you know, a painting or something that you spend a ton of money on. Yeah, I do think that there's this, there's a broad range, of course, of, of uh, price points here. Right. And Very much so. You know, I think that as long as it's not something that's been mass produced and therefore doesn't have the artist's own hands touching the piece... I think as long as you've got that kind of person involved in the making of it or the story behind it, then anything goes. Anything can go up on your walls. 100%. And I think my connection um, with where I used to be as an artist, I just have this real love for artists that are putting themselves out there because it does require um, a deep sacrifice, both financially and, you know, sometimes socially because you need periods of time to create And they're really putting that time and effort out there into the world. And sometimes it's hard to be, it's hard to be found as an artist. Right. And I I do think that they, they need our support, but they also deserve our support. I mean, they, they are helping us kind of take pieces of our lives and what's meaningful to us and put it on the wall and visually represent something that's really important to us. So it, it, it it's quite valuable. I, I interviewed an artist, Wendy Chen, who um, wrote the book, My Year of Knots. She's a knot maker, is her, is her medium. Um, and one of the things that really stayed with me when I talked to her was this idea that she said that when you buy a piece of art, you're, you're not buying one thing that an artist made. You are buying all of the iterations that came before that, that helped that artist learn how to make this one thing that you're seeing, but you're also kind of buying the whole process. And I just think that's such a beautiful way to put it and helps understand the value behind a single piece. Yes. It like art can make a home more human just based on the time in the artist's hands. So, so back to the practicalities of seeking out art. Of course, right now we're in a completely different situation. If you want to buy art, you're going to have to do it virtually, um, which is still a great way to support an artist. I think it's harder to choose things virtually when you can't see them in person. Um, but you, you were talking about, you know, walking through galleries or walking through, um, like even a flea market or an art fair or something. So what sort of, what are the things that people should kind of have in mind when they're approaching, let's say a gallery? Well, I think it's a little bit less daunting right now. If you're interested in like trying to determine what your art style is, because you can do that now online. There are so many art portals um, that cater to emerging artists and they're not this overpriced galleries Uh um, that sometimes 
actual galleries can be because they have to take a cut for themselves to survive. Sure. Instagram has been fundamental for me in finding new artists. As soon as we moved to Charlotte, I wanted to meet some local artists. And I was really intrigued by the different kinds of styles in the South and who's out here and who's creating what. And honestly, you can get really beautiful work, original work or prints from the artists themselves for Mm -hmm. such good prices um, that it doesn't make sense to go someplace like Home Goods and buy something that's mass produced and soulless. And you don't have to go to New York either and go to a gallery there. Like it's right there where you live. Right there. So did you, so, so just like you went on Instagram and did you do, cause Instagram has a, uh, a geographic search function. So did you like, you know, go, okay, artists in Charlotte. I mean, is that, is it, was it really that simple? We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a one of a kind personality filled home, Right. Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one style session with yours truly. So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. Is it silly that I didn't know that was even a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay how did you find that they were in charlotte then i usually hashtag like north carolina artists charlotte artists oh well that's that works southern artists that's cool too (laughs) but i like your idea better it sounds it sounds easier I want to switch gears for just a second and talk about some other design things and one of the things that you're so good at is mixing different styles and eras furniture and objects and that kind of thing. And that's another thing that I feel like I I talk about with people a lot who contact me, you know, big questions about the art and then the big questions about how do I mix different things and how, you know, I, I love this piece of my grandmother's, but it's so not my style. I don't know what to do with it. And, um, you know, or the question, does this go together? Can I actually put these two pieces of things together that are completely different? And I, my answer to that is usually, um, yes, everything can go together, but there is definitely a way to do it that, that looks better than others. And it's hard to articulate 
how, how do you know when something's working? And I'm wondering if you can help us with that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I ask myself that a lot. Like, what is the curated home? Uh-huh. I always think of the curated home. It's not entirely intentional. Um, but you pick up pieces and you shift it and there's this balance that starts to work harmoniously. It's not matchy. And it wasn't like you bought this piece to go with this piece, but somehow they speak to each other. What about playing around with things? I mean, like, like for example, you, I mean, you have this designer's eye because of your artistic background. So you might've had a leg up on somebody who didn't have that kind of a background, but have you found that for you, it's about playing around and and kind of until it works? Yes. Is it trial and error, in other words? Yes, always. I mean, it, it's interesting because when we moved into this house, before we moved any furniture in, I had this opportunity to paint all the rooms, mm-hmm. not even knowing what furniture was going to go where yet. Yeah. So you just have to kind of pick colors that speak to you. And then once all my furniture came and a big moving truck, I started just placing things. And Mm -hmm. while it was not intentional, I didn't think that I was going to put these sofas together with this rug in this room. The colors just are dictating. It's, it's, It's like balancing that the colors with graphics. Oh, gosh. I wish I had a better answer. <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. It really it is. It really is. That's a really uh, different way of starting in a room, I think, is to choose the paint colors first. However, yeah. I think a lot of people are faced with that when, if they're hiring somebody, like if they've done a renovation or they're moving into a new house, one of the first things they want to do is hire a painter if they're not going to do it themselves. Because as you said, there's nothing in the rooms yet. It's just cheaper, easier, faster to paint. Mm-hmm. And so, but then there's all this pressure. And I think that you don't necessarily know what to choose. You haven't lived with the light. I mean, I think that you, because you've been so attuned to your artistic background, you kind of had more confidence maybe in choosing colors. I do think as far as colors go, I would never tell a client to just pick a random color before they move in. Okay. But I kind of trusted myself with what I knew I was bringing into the house to come up with what I thought a good foundation would be. Yeah. But as far as the things that go into the house, I knew I was going to make them work because the pieces I have collected now or we kept and brought with us are pieces that like I have found and have stories and have meaning to me. Nothing was disposable furniture um, to me anymore. Do you feel like your things can go in any room because they're all about who you are or do they go in specific rooms because they have a particular function or color or pattern? I mean, kind of a mix of both, but I do feel like they could work in any room because they, they speak to me and I'm going to find a way to make them work harmoniously together. Sometimes I just have to put a bunch of stuff in a room and then edit. Yes, editing is so key. I, maybe that's that's exactly the point here is that that is the difference between knowing whether this is working or not, that sort of kind of amorphous thing that, that you and I are both trying to articulate here. Right. It, it's, the, it's the editing, I guess. And, but maybe not being afraid to put all that stuff in the room in the first place. So that's just it. There is no, there is no wrong. I mean, obviously, 
you want your design to look cohesive, but you it's you can always take away. So by starting with just pieces that you love, I mean, you'll always find a home for pieces you love. I tell that to clients a lot. Like, what are you drawn to? Do you love this piece? We will make it work then mm. because it's important to you. Yeah. I would rather have those important pieces that mean something to a client than have them go buy, you know, some manufactured piece of furniture. That quote unquote matches. Exactly. Yeah. I, I saw in several of the comments that people have on your website, clients that you've worked with, they, a lot of them talk about how Natalie was so good at using a piece that was like an heirloom, meant something to me, was passed down that I had no idea with to, what to do with, but now she's sort of incorporated it. Can you remember any of those pieces that were, that, that you somehow made work when the client didn't know how it was going to work? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are some that stick out. One for me is um, I had a client whose grandmother had, you know, handmade all these like beautiful, very intricate like doilies, right? But like, what do you do with doilies? Right. (laughs) It's, you don't put them under a lamp anymore. It looks kind of antiquated. Um, In this case, we took a really beautiful hand embroidered piece, framed and matted it professionally and use it as a headboard in her daughter's room. Oh my gosh, it's a headboard. Well, it must've been big. It was a really, it was a runner. Oh, I see. Oh, a runner. That's so cool. And then we actually did take some of those doilies as well and put them in uh, just the glass frames, the see-through glass frames. And the wall behind it was this really deep blue teal color. So the doilies in these brass frames somehow added this meaning and dimension to this wall um, that felt more modern than just having a doily on an end table. And is that sort of your your, uh, instinct is to take something that's, if it's if it's old and not of the client's taste, do you modernize? Like, is that what you go to? Is let's modernize this somehow? Yes, it's like vintage made modern, and mm-hmm. there's always always a way to do that. Okay, another another question puts you on the spot here. <laughs> sure, <laughs> bring it. What are some of your go to things that when you're shopping at vintage flea markets, that kind of thing, that you tend to pick up because you know they're going to be useful in someone's house. Oh, well, you're talking to a little bit of a hoarder here. (laughs) So I will say when um, Kim and I were doing a ton of flea markets, we made it a priority because we like to have this inventory of things that aren't, you know, from Home Goods or Target, which there's nothing wrong with those pieces. It's just this balance of having some pieces that are a little bit more interesting, a little bit more unique. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I'm cheap and I like to get a good deal. Absolutely. And flea markets afford you that as well. And it's about having this approachable design for clients as well. But when I go look at a flea market, I'm always looking for art, interesting shelf styling pieces from pottery to planters to figurines. I'm really into weird carvings <laughs> of animals and uh-huh. um, just something out of the ordinary. Well, I have another example if you want me to yes. share it. Um, I had a client who we were talking about art. His, they had a big, big blank wall and it was like, oh, I kind of just needed a big piece of art or gallery wall. But then that requires finding multiple pieces in art the client mm-hmm. likes. Well, it turns out this client is our record collector and Ooh. not just, you know, a hundred records, but thousands. Wow. And some of the, the fronts of the record covers are 
amazing. Yeah. The record art is really cool. Absolutely. So we decided to do four foot long lead shelves, five of them, and put a bunch of his records up there. Oh. So it was a whole wall of art he yes. already had. Yes. Right. And it's meaningful to him. Absolutely. And I love that. Something he already had. And, and you probably do like to poke through people's basements and attics to say, oh, wait a minute, favorite. why aren't you using this? Oh, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. the best you right. gotta shop at home first right right definitely i want to ask you you know the question my signature question that i ask most people which is why does style matter you know maybe even why now here we are all spending all this time at home are you really finding that our surroundings our inter you know our interior surroundings matter even more or are you just finally saying oh my gosh finally everybody's gonna get it why why our interiors matter to us because now we're spending so much time at home. I have never been so busy with e-design. People are spending a lot of time in their homes and they're yeah. starting to understand like, this doesn't bring me joy. Interior style matters because it's just an opportunity to represent who you are visually. It's a, your visual story. Like, yeah. this is me. I have a six foot fiberglass ostrich next to my fireplace because <laughs> it brings me joy. Right. And so just more of that, please. Like. Yes. More of that. Yes. You're not boring people. It's just don't make your house boring. Yeah. Right. And that gets back to what I said I wanted to come back to, which was sort of your, it's almost like a tagline or a mantra that you have is, we don't do boring. We don't. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 and just on a final note, you know, how do you help people get, get out of that, get out of their comfort zone a little bit and, and try to be more bold in their choices? Well, I think the easiest thing people can do is paint, right? Yep. Paint brings so much transformation to your room for not a lot of cost. So right. I feel like that is one area where if you can convince somebody to bring that color in, they see the room differently. Yeah, It's amazing if you take a beige room and then you put color on the wall, how that transforms my client's emotions mm. they all of a sudden enjoy being in the space and you know there are questions of will it be too dark or yes, I always don't want that it to question. be gloomy in here and it's not it's what's gloomy is that beige color that was sucking the life out of your walls <laughs> yes absolutely well Natalie this has been such a pleasure I oh my gosh I am thank so, you yeah I'm so excited to share all you know your work with everybody and follow you as you continue to explore Charlotte and your life down there thank you Sandra thanks so much for listening if you liked what you heard I would so appreciate it if you'd rate us on iTunes so that other home-obsessed people can find our show too. And don't forget to take the quiz, what's the number one mistake you're making in your home, over at littleyellowcouch.com. Have a great week, and I will talk to you next Monday. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.